It's time for Heat Wave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heat Wave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. A Super Sunday Night Edition of Heat Wave Sports here on Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. It's Tim Unglesby and Mateo up with you until the midnight hour as we get you into the next week. Early Monday morning, one week away from Turkey Day. And yes, we have plenty, plenty to discuss tonight here on Heat Wave Sports. Tom Barton taking a deserved, much deserved night off. So jumping in, the ultimate Swiss Swiss Army knife, he likes to call himself, radio personality, Mr. Chris Wynn. Chris, you know it's always a pleasure to have you back on the show. And always a pleasure to join you, Tim, and I'm sure, as you can imagine, we've got all kinds of great stuff to talk about, and it's going to probably kick off right here regarding the team right here in Las <laughs> Vegas. Before we even crack that bottle... Crazy, uh, we're coming off of a holiday weekend, right? We had Veterans Day on uh, Friday. And, you know, there's always stuff to do in Vegas. Chris, you've known that since you've been here, you know, almost getting close to two decades here. And, you know, there's always something to do on the weekend. But it seemed like this weekend there was really a lot of things packed in, whether it was concerts, you had people in for the holiday, you had people um, going to a lot of the sporting events in town. And, yeah, we're going to jump into that first thing uh coming up here right real soon but again vegas literally friday night holiday chris there was numerous concerts i think post malone was over at the t-mob you had one at the hard rock cafe there were smaller ones cover bands you had sporting event over at uh legion followed into another sporting event saturday afternoon followed into another sporting event Sunday. i mean you know it's it's just this is what it's become here in las vegas and it's going to get even bigger too, right? With the sphere being built behind the Palazzo in Venetian, all kinds of stuff to uh, do entertainment-wise over there as well too. So just more venues and much more entertainment even on the way for those here in Las Vegas. One of those events kind of capped the weekend. We had UNLV football, UNLV basketball, we had Vegas Golden Knights, and the Raiders were going to be putting the cherry on top of the weekend, right, if you think about it. Didn't really go that way as the football team collegially lost. The The basketball team did pick up a win. We'll talk about that a little bit later tonight. The hockey team uh, winning streak came to an end at home. And today, the continuing drama saga here. If it was a TV show, it would be, it'd be a ratings getter, Chris, because the Raiders pull up lame again, falling 25-20 to the Indianapolis Colts, a game where, again, Las Vegas blows a lead. And now, it's you know, instead of even focusing on the game, because obviously tonight we're going to talk about Week 10 in the NFL, but forget all that right now. Let's talk about the hot-button topic. What are we doing here in Las Vegas? And do you perceive at 2-7 and seven now and another loss that there will be a new head coach very, very soon? I got to believe, Tim, there could be something in the works regarding a change, especially with the likes of coaches like Sean Payton and others out there looking for jobs and 
obviously Las Vegas would be extremely entertaining for some of these high quality coaches. And also giving the circumstance transpire here. Look, you just lost to a team that was really, that was essentially three, five, and one, and was, you know, tough sledding all along. The Colts themselves had major issues. You got, you know, Jim Irsay letting go of Frank Reich just a matter of days ago and replacing him with a guy who essentially has been basically doing television analysis since his retirement. And he comes in as the head coach here, and basically they circle the wagons and get a win with a guy straight off the street. And look, the narrative all week long, right, Tim, was that. Oh, this is absolutely not a situation where Josh McDaniels wants to lose because it makes all NFL coaches look terrible. Because you can't have a guy come off the street and beat you, especially given what has what has transpired with the Raiders for the last three weeks. You go down to New Orleans, you're utterly embarrassed and shut out by a Saints team that is not exactly stellar. Then you stay back east and train down in Florida, and you end up taking on a Jacksonville Jaguars team that is young and that doesn't have an identity yet, and you get a 17-point lead and lose that football game. And then every press conference in the past month has been Josh McDaniels or some type of player getting up, some player getting up there and saying, you know what, using cliches left and right, we're going to circle the wagons. We're, we, we think we can fix things. We think that this is a bounce-back type of team and a bounce-back type of locker room, and it has been nothing of the sort. And it all culminated today, Tim, in Allegiant Stadium, the press conference after the game in their leader, a guy who, you know, thought this year, when we went into this season, right, Mr. Ugglesby, we talked about this team, and we said, you know, they have playoff, absolutely playoff potential, given what transpired last year where you had all the drama in the world, both on and off the field, and they were able to make the playoffs, despite the fact having an interim head coach, essentially. So it was absolutely a must-win kind of feel for this game, against the Indianapolis Colts on this Sunday, and they once again went out there and had opportunities to win the football game and were not able to pull through. So I have expectations fully, Tim, that there could, there could no question be a change. And i got to get your take because talking to other media members in this town, I've get, got a lot of flack this entire week because the sentiment is this. Oh, no. You know, Mark Davis has made it crystal clear that regardless of what they do the rest of the way, I've had media members, Tim, tell me that there's no way, even if they lose every single game the rest of the way, that Josh McDaniels will still be in place and will be the head coach going into the 2022-23 season. And it, I, I just don't buy it. I think that it's never a good sign, right, when you have a coach that's having multiple closed-door meetings with coaches during the season, that's never a good sign. And we also understand that, look, Mark Davis's kind of reputation is kind of up against it here as well, too. I mean, this is, a, this is, a, this is a, an owner that hasn't really won anything on his own, right? His father has a legacy, obviously. But when it comes to Mark, he has no legacy whatsoever when it comes to winning. So there, there's kind of his reputation at stake here. Hmm. 
And so I don't think there's any question, Tim. There very well could be a change when it comes to the head coaching position here in Las Vegas with the Raiders, and it could be coming sooner than later. Lots to unwrap about this, and, and I felt that it deserved a nice segment of time because you, you, you talked about a couple things here I'd like to break down. Uh, first, let's look at the numbers. Two and seven, six losses by a touchdown or less, Chris. Last year, this team got a lot of, of the of same situation. They would end up on the positive side of it. Sometimes, you know, everything has to even itself out, and it's just been a tough year for the Raiders, no doubt, in games that they should have won. There's no doubt about it, and you can try to – compared to whatever you say, you know, oh, everything evens out. Sooner or later you have to come to the other side. You can say whatever you want. The bottom line is that in those six losses, they had leads. So there's there's no way that you can excuse it. It happened. It happened. But before we get to Carr, I, I do want to touch on the Davis thing that you brought up because, again, uh, when we talk about media members in town, we, we put those in parentheses depending on who we're talking about. And I had talked to a couple – media members that you and I both respect and when they you know when they say something it's it's taken how it is because it's usually there's a lot of truth behind it and I heard the same thing that uh look the GM he escapes my escapes my thought process his name right now but he's already come out and said that they like Josh McDaniels they like the process that he's put in place here that uh the expectation was that they should have been a playoff team, and because of the way things have happened in this season so far, they don't 100% blame him, right? You know, I've also heard that Mark Davis is set with McDaniels right now, but why was he in the locker room after the game, Chris? Owners shouldn't be in the locker room. I know it's their team. I know it's their property, their business, their, their facility, whatever you want to call it, but there should always be that line between owner, GM, coach, Unless he's invited in there, I don't think that he should be hanging around. What's he doing in there? What's he going to do? You know, it's, it's bad enough right now. This team is, is uh, broken. And with each loss, it gets worse and worse. I don't think you need to see Dan Snyder or Jerry Jones hanging out in the, lo- in the locker room with the players. It should never be that way. And, and you're right. The legacy of Mark Davis is what? It's nothing. His legacy is that he, he won a WNBA title. Right? That's his legacy right now. And um, the way that the fans – treated this team today says a lot as well so will he be pressured Chris Wynn into making a move that maybe he doesn't want to make because if he fires him after nine games or ten games or whatever the case may be he looks bad the GM looks bad it's just a bad bad situation they're not making the playoffs let's put it that way there's nine games left they're not making the playoffs do you just ride it out or do you make that change because of we all know the hot free agent coach on the market in Sean Payton? You want to lock him up if that's your if that's your guy, and maybe Mark Davis is talking to him behind the scenes, Chris. I don't know. I don't know for a fact, but maybe he is. So there's a lot coming out of here, and maybe tomorrow morning when we we wake up, there might be a change already in place. I don't know. I don't think so, based on who I've talked to, just like you have. But it's something to consider that when we wake up tomorrow, there may be a new head coach in in Las Vegas. Yeah, so Tim, the argument here is this, that it's a New England connection, right? Obviously with Dave Ziegler as the general manager here yes, in Las Vegas, Ziegler. and you've got Josh McDaniels also spending you know, you know, you know, dozens of years essentially in New England. Uh, Ziegler is past nine seasons with the Patriots as their director of player personnel. So Ziegler, look, when it comes to the GM, the GM's going to have more, le- more of a leash than, than the head coach. That just goes without saying. And that's going to be the case, I think, with Ziegler. I think that Mark Davis will absolutely be looking to retain him, you know, at least for the near, from the near, for the near future. 
But that being said, Ziggler, you know, could absolutely pull the trigger. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Now, look, I understand what you're saying in that the, it makes the Raiders look bad if they fire. But look, this is the NFL, Tim. This is a results-based business. And this is the Raiders, too, by the way. This is a, an organization that has a name, that has a brand, and the fan base has expectations. And I don't know. Look, you're, you're brand new to the market here in Las Vegas, but we do understand that, that, that the silver and black support is essentially worldwide. And I, I personally think, this is my personal opinion, that Mark Davis cares about that. He really does. He really cares about you know, what the, the impression is of the Raiders as a team and as an organization from that, you know, that swath of fans out there. Obviously, you know, if, if they're, right now Mark Davis is just hoping and praying to him that this team somehow gets to five, six, seven wins. If they can get to five, six, seven wins, then you can make the justification and say, okay, well, they, you know, we finished the season much better than we started the season, and we can just kind of, we can kind of roll into next year and say, okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna wipe our hands clean of what went down in, in the first year and blame, blame it on things like, obviously, Darren Waller being out for most of the entire year. You can blame it on you know, Hunter Renfro not being really available and not being the Hunter Renfro that was expected. You can, you know, the retirement of your leading tackler last week and things like that, and you can move forward and go that route. But I'm telling you, Tim, if, it, if it, there's a situation in which they win, uh, you know, less than five games, they're... There, the sentiment, there's going to be all kinds of pressure, external pressures, and probably internal pressures. I mean, you saw that, and we're going to get to, of course, the press conference regarding Derek Carr, where you're seeing the locker room start to fracture. And when that happens, you're almost, you know, it's, it's almost like you're, uh, you're, you're, just, you're, you're shown to be incompetent if you don't actually make a change. Because if the locker room goes and it doesn't look like the players have any faith in Josh McDaniels as the head coach, then Mark Davis has no choice and he has to make a change. So you're seeing kind of signs of that with the, with the postgame press conference today. It, it's not all sunshine and roses and, okay, we're going to look ahead to the next day and all the cliches that I just talked about 10 minutes ago, right? It was essentially Derek Carr fed up. Yeah. And it was, I think that's kind of prevailing sentiment of a lot of the team leaders and a lot of the, you know, the, the, uh, the key players on this team regarding how the season has gone and, of course, the results that have happened. So there's, I think something's going to have to happen. If, there's, if, they, if they do not get to that five-win mark, there's, there's going to be calls for a, a change as far as the head coach is concerned. And then even players, too. I mean, the players, there's going to be some players that are going to get jettisoned even to, even to, even today after the game, you, you if you bounce around social media, you talked about Tim. You talked about those people that we that we lend weight to when it comes to what they say regarding everything silver and black. There was even discussions about the, some of the changes from a personnel standpoint that not meet, might need to be named almost immediately. So uh, again, the, after watching that press conference with Derek Carr today, that kind of gives me an indication that things are are starting to break when it comes to the locker room and this Raider team. Do you feel that 
what I said was out of line? Do you feel that it's acceptable for me to think that why is the owner in the locker room after a game, even if it's for a, one of those pep talks or just to be there like, hey, I, I got your guys back, I support you. Like, don't you feel he should keep his ass up in the box and do what he's supposed to do and that's own the team? Yeah, I'm picking up what you're putting down, Tim. No question about it. But also, you, you know the deal, right, Tim? This is the Raiders and this is the Davises, right? The Davises, yeah. they have kind of a, you know, there's kind of a uh, expectations, maybe not the word, but it's you're not shocked, right, that the owner is going to be down there and is going to be, it, regardless if it's Mark or Al or if it was anybody with their last name Davis, they were going to have some type of, that, that was going to have some type of, of input where it wasn't necessarily normal, right, or it wasn't necessarily something that other owners in the NFL would do. Like, you don't see other, like, there's a lot of owners that you just don't see that would even come close to thinking about doing something like that. So they leave their foot. Let's put it this way. They leave those football things up to the football people, right? That are in letter right. that, that are dealing with those issues on a day-to-day basis. Now, obviously Al Davis was a guy who was a football guy, right? Al Davis was, you know, he, he was considered somebody that was ultra knowledgeable when it came to football decisions and, you know, running the franchise in a way where he was expected to, to be one of the smarter people in the room, right, from a football standpoint. That's not the case with Mark Davis. Let's not get it. Let's, let's not get crazy, okay? Mark Davis has ne- never been a guy that's, you know, been a football guy. He's never been someone who – he's not – he's certainly not Jerry Jones, right, who played, at, you know, at Arkansas, who is someone who is astute when it comes to – but we can get it. That's a whole other thing with the Cowboys. But the point being is that – it, it's, uh, it doesn't shock me whatsoever that, that that would take place regarding somebody with the last name Davis. And, of course, when we're talking about the silver and black, Tim. The other thing you brought up was talking about the Raider fan base and the expectations of the brand, the logo, uh, the, the history of Oakland, Los Angeles, Las Vegas now. And, you know, we could tie this into a lot of different things. And if we had a a six-hour show, I mean, we could talk for hours about just my disgust in, in fandom nowadays. But you you know it. You see it. You know, uh, the other night, I didn't go in as media to the Mac. I actually had a friend in town, and we, we went in as paying customers to watch UNLV play. And, you know, I'm sitting there with him. And, Chris, I've seen it happen. You and I have sat there for years upon years and just not necessarily criticize the attendance criticize the attendance if you know what I mean and then we're not the only ones we have a bunch of us in a group that just sit there and we're like we can't believe this and again Tuesday I was just sitting there with him and he, he says to me and he's a sports fan right Chris but he's not a Vegas sports fan and he's like this is a big arena for such a small, such a small turnout and, and it just kind of like clicked in my head and I'm just like wow um, Vegas fans really are terrible and that totally it absolutely transcends to Raider fans now being Vegas Raider fans it just disgusts me and what's this brand or what's this this legacy that these people go out and support they're not fans of football most of them they're fans they're fans of Vegas they're fans of being seen we already talked about that Vegas Golden Knight style this team Chris what to respect is in the last 20 years they made the playoffs twice and looked terrible in those games what is there to respect anymore about the Raiders I'm sorry they have nothing to respect uh, so going into that, like, as what do the fans expect? Fans expect nothing at this point, I think, because they're so used to losing, right? How, how can I say that? 
I just gave you the stats. Two playoff appearances in the last 20 years. What do they expect? They expect they're used to, to losing, and that's exactly what they're getting again this year. Yeah, look, I, as someone who has been a fit, lifelong fan of another team in the NFL, particularly, obviously, the Detroit Lions, I, you know, hes, I'm hesitant to go out and, and be critical of, other, of some <laughs> other team's fans, especially fans like the Raider fans who have, you know, won multiple Super Bowls and do have a history and do have a legacy and understanding that, look, it's, it's, a, it's a franchise that just got here to Las Vegas. So you know, that dynamic kind of changes everything as far as my viewpoint of the fan. Look, you and I, Tim, and, and Tommy and, and all, all, all of our, our, our uh, media colleagues that have discussed nonstop, particularly regarding UNLV athletics, right, and attendance issues, which are, to me, and I always go into rants about that because it makes absolutely zero sense to me, given that it is, there's only one marquee Division I program in this market that has now over 2 million people in it. And I go out to a game on a Saturday afternoon at the Thomas and Mack Center, granted against you know, a, a lesser opponent, but that, that notwithstanding, that does, to me, it doesn't matter. Because th- there is, again, when it comes to UNLV running Rebel basketball, there is a history here. So I don't understand how there's 1,500 people in a 17,000-seat arena in which that used to be packed left and right. Look, I'm not saying they need to get out and have you know, 12, 13, 15,000 at every game. But on a Saturday afternoon in the fall, when you have a student base of what, 24 to 25 to 30,000 students at the university, regardless of if they commute to school or not, that, and, and you still can't get, you can't get 2,000 people in the arena, that to me is embarrassing. And I know I'm, and so I'm kind of going on another rant regarding UNLV. But with respect to the Raiders, look, it's a little bit different, Tim. I'll push back a little bit regarding your, your description of the fans and of the situation. It's the NFL. The NFL is essentially the gold standard right now when it comes to sports leagues in the country. And the fact that Las Vegas has one of those crown jewel franchises in that they have a franchise, right, is something that I think is, is extremely uh, beneficial and a positive thing for the community and for Las Vegas. And yes, there, it's, it's not a big part of the disappointment here that, that Silver and Black and the fans and everybody right now is sitting in and dealing with is because the expectations were so high, right? We went into the season and the Raiders were expected to be a playoff team. Everything, everybody was talking about this division as if all four teams were playoff worthy and absolutely could contend in the AFC. And the Raiders, quite frankly, just haven't been that team. There's been a lot of issues uh, that we have, you know, we've gone over over and over again. But the point being is that this is a this is not what this is not shaken out to be the season that was expected. And it's a very vocal fan base, and it's a very expansive fan base. But the fan base also, obviously, is here day in and day out here in Las Vegas. And you, myself, and you know, and, and and everybody that lives here in Las Vegas, and especially those of us in the sports media here, are well aware of, of the, you know, the passion that the fans have here regarding this, whether it be positive or negative, right? So 
that to me, I think it's still going to be a work in progress regarding how exactly the fans are as far as Las Vegas Raider fan is concerned. We know what Oakland Raider fan is and California Raider fan is and L.A. Raider fan is and, you know, pretty much every other Raider fan outside of the city of Las Vegas. But to me, it's still a work in progress when it comes to the fan base here, given that the franchise is so brand new playing here at Legion Stadium right down the road. And before I get bombarded on Twitter with hate messages, hear me out. I have no problem with fans of whatever team. You're a Lions fan. You know the, you know the struggle. You've stuck by your team, and that's just the way it is. I'm a Ravens fan. I know the struggle. It's been a little bit better than the Raiders and the Lions, but I obviously invest my feelings and emotions into week-by-week week games, and I have no problem with Raider fans that do that. My problem are the Vegas fans that assume that they know everything about football and just and you're right because it is the NFL it allows them to know everything about football because it's such a mainstream sport and the problem that uh, we always laugh about is uh, a good friend of ours right Chris and Tony Cordasco legend here in Vegas media we always joke about fanboys fanboy media is one of our favorite things to talk about because there's trust me everybody listening there's plenty of fanboy media here in this town but we always talk about fanboys and that's what that's unfortunately what this town is. It's not even about the teams. I don't even like the Raiders. I never did. So I have no um, nothing to try to back up on this. And I'm not even trying to come at them. I just What I see visually, and I've been to games this year. I went to games last year. And since they've been in, in Allegiant, I see it. There's more fanboys, fangirls, fan women, fan men, whatever you want to call it, than fans. And that's the problem is when... We, uh, I believe it was a video you sent me when Denver was in town. It was orange, right? So we know what it brings to the city. We love the tourism money. I, I get all that. I'm all for that. I'm all for the sphere being successful to bring in more revenue to the city. But as far as the fans go, and I use that term very loosely, is there's not a lot of them that I see. I see the hardcores. I see the fans. And, and it's it's very easy, Chris, in my ears, I've, I've noticed it's very easy to find the true fans rather than the fanboys, if you know what I mean. Oh, absolutely. I know what you mean. And look, we could do a you know a 17-hour show, right, Tim? Just talking, <laughs> talking about when it comes to the fan bases of every team here, right, in town. And, and, and we, we're just talking about Las Vegas. I can't, you know, you can, don't even get me started on you know some other places around the country where I've covered teams and had a chance to do it. But yeah, you pointed it out. Look, I, we don't have, you and I are not Raider fans by any stretch of the imagination, so we don't have a dog in the fight. So I consider me to be myself and you and others and some others in the media to have a very, you know, uh, a subjective viewpoint when it comes to what, what the expectations are with the Raiders. And the flat out situation is this. They are underachieving. It, it, this is in 2022 and 2023. They are an underachieving team. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a number of reasons for that, and we've dived into it. And look, it's sports radio, so that's, we, that's what we love to do. We love to kind of bounce around the reasonings behind it. But the reality is still that this is a team that, going into the season, we had, we had some solid expectations for. Did we expect them to be a Super Bowl contender? No, we didn't expect that at all. But we did expect them to be right there on the doorstep when it came to playoff possibilities given their talent level, given the division, given the schedule, given a number of things. We thought this was going to be a team that was going to be contending when it came to the AFC playoff picture. 
and it quite frankly has not been the case. And you could talk about scenarios, right, Tim? I think it's, it's safe to say, I don't think I'm going out on a limb. I don't think I'm talking crazy here. Well, I can say this is probably one of the worst case scenarios that has taken place regarding the Raiders here in this season. Well, before we take this time out, let's talk about what's up next for the Raiders. A trip to Denver next Sunday to take on the Broncos, a team that one of actually one of their two wins is against Denver at home at Allegiant. Chris, the Denver Broncos, a, a tough, tough game with Tennessee today. They, they lost that one going away. So Denver struggling, the Raiders struggling. AFC West matchup. Raiders won round one, so round two at Denver. The Broncos, Mr. Wynn, field goal favorite already next week. Yeah, both obviously the Broncos and the Raiders, you know, waddling at the bottom of the division. The Broncos with one more win than Vegas. But they, this is, another, again, another franchise with bigger expectations that has not lived up to the hype. There has been descriptions, right, Tim? If you jump on social media that the Russell Wilson trade quite possibly could be one of the worst trades in NFL history in <laughs> making that deal. Of course, there's they had opportunities to win the football game today, and Denver was not able to pull it out. And uh, it's injury situation, obviously, very dicey there with Jerry Judy going out in that football game. They've, they've had multiple injury issues all season long as well, too. But a battle between two embattled coaches, if you will, obviously, when you're talking about Hackett in Denver and McDaniels here in Las Vegas, it's almost like uh, something's got to give situation, Mr. Uglesby, regarding these two teams. And I'm not willing and not too confident to think that the Raiders are going to go up there in that environment in November and pull out a W. We shall see exactly what happens. But look, it's Broncos. It's Raiders, it's, it's fall, and rolling into winter, and it's the AFC West. So pretty much anything can happen, and I expect that's going to be the case between these two squads coming up next week. Definitely could see two new coaches in those two cities, possibly as early as this season, maybe for sure next season. But that's the next step for the Raiders. Week number 11 at Denver. We'll take the first time out here on a Super Sunday night. More NFL football in hour number two, but when we come back, we'll adjust back over to a little bit of what we talked about. UNLV Athletics, we'll talk to the football team on the other side of the break. It's Heatwave Sports. Tim Unglesby, Chris Wynn. We are back, Heatwave Sports, Super Sunday night. Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, Tim Unglesby and Chris Wynn with you. I want to say, Mateo, text me if this is true. I want to say there's a Knights game next Saturday, so we'll only be on uh, Sunday. But we'll, we'll get clarification on that and update everybody listening. Because, Chris, you won't believe the amount of messages and texts I get when the show is not on. So I, I have, have a good feeling that... The fans want the content, Mr. Wynn. They want the Heat Wave content. Tim, let's be honest. People want their Heat Wave sports on the weekends, my friend, regardless <laughs> of you got and other Las Vegas sports going on that are going to hit the airwaves. They want to hear their Tim Oglesby, their Tommy Barton, <laughs> and occasionally, you know, the loud and proud Michigander Chris Wynn coming on 
and chiming in every now and then. They love that. <laughs> Mateo confirms very quickly. Knights and the Oilers next Saturday here in Las Vegas, so we'll be on next Sunday only. And then off for, for Thanksgiving, so there's going to be a lot of, uh, Chris, there's going to be a lot of sad, sad Heatway fans here in the next couple weeks, but that's all right. We're back in December, so. Let's talk Vegas about Knights, uh, a lot of home action coming up this week. They're playing on Tuesday night. They've got a game against the San Jose Sharks. And then on Thursday, the, the Coyotes come to town. And as uh, as yourself and uh, uh, our folks, our folks over there at uh, the Fox Sports Radio Studios point out, the Oilers coming to town next weekend. So uh, yeah. after a, a long stretch there for the VGK, where they're on the road, baked back east and just knocking teams off left and right. They're going to get a short stint here back at home at the Fortress against uh, some of the best teams in the league. Not at home, but at home this previous weekend was the UNLV football team as Fresno State came in. Speaking of car, Fresno State comes in and they leave town with a 37-30 victory over the Rebs. So UNLV now has dropped five in a row. They are 4-6, and six, Mr. Wynn, 2-4 and four in the conference. Forget the division that's not happening now it's all about can they make a bowl game losers of five straight hawaii and reno left chris yeah this is a team that is without question really right tim they start the season off pretty solid you could argue that the the competition was questionable at best and that the only signature win so far this year is not really a signature win. It's a victory over the Aggies of Utah State up there in Logan, Utah. That's the one win that they've had where you can say, okay, that they actually beat at least somebody. But it has been an absolute dumpster fire, essentially, in the last five weeks. Look, we understand that Doug Brumfield hasn't been 100% for most of those games and is just kind of getting his way back as far as you know, this offense is concerned. And there were some bright spots from an offensive standpoint in this matchup against the, Bull, against the Bulldogs. But there was also some situations that took place in this game against Fresno State that were troubling, right? Where you had a couple of the, the fourth down plays. One went spectacularly, where you have Aiden Robbins busting a 66-yard touchdown run on fourth down and one. And then another scenario in which... They went for it, and you didn't have to necessarily do it. I mean, there's still enough time on the clock where they could have putted the ball away and, and, uh, and, and played defense, but essentially they run the exact same play on fourth and one, and it gets stuffed, and it gives all kinds of momentum and edge to Fresno State, and they're able to go down and score uh, a touchdown that basically seals the deal. So uh, this was a matchup against a Fresno State team that was explosive offensively, right? We're talking about Hayner, one of the best quarterbacks in the Mountain West, and a, a receiver that is also one of the best in the Mountain West, and a running game that was able to get things going against this running against this Rebel defense on Friday night. So they were absolutely a team that could strike fast and and be effective from that side of the football, and were able to kind of counter everything that UNLV did offensively and yet uh, the runner rebels from a defensive standpoint it was they just you wanted to think that they could be a bend and don't break defense they were not able to do that on Friday night and 
Fresno State kind of exposed them, especially through the uh, passing game. And UNLV was just not able to keep up. So it was another game in which Marcus Arroyo kind of had to answer to what transpired and what went down. And I think he himself is also searching for answers as well, too, regarding this team because the identity to me is up in the air. I just don't know what this team is about. I don't know, you know, what, what they hang their hat on from a, from a standpoint of what is their strength. I just don't know what it is. Yes, they have players on both sides of the ball that can make plays on occasion, but it's not something that's consistently happening. And it certainly hasn't been happening in the last five weeks in which they have, you know, look, they've run up against some stiffer competition, make no mistake about it, but you still have to, no one thought when this, when they were sitting at four and one, right, Tim, that we'd be talking about, they needed to uh, circle the wagons and pull out two victories on the last two games of the season to be bowl eligible. No one had that expectation. So uh, that's the, that's the situation right now. And it all starts again next week when they head to the islands in what we all understand. It's kind of a different circumstance, right? You're going over to Hawaii for a road game. And, uh, and we understand Hawaii is not one of the better teams in the Mountain West. But that's not exactly from a mindset scenario ideal if you're the, the Rebels football team and you're, do, you're heading over there and you have to have a must win, essentially. 8 p.m. start there on the island against a team that's lost four in a row. I'll say this, with the exception of the game at Fresno State where they were just blasted. They've, been, they've played much better in the second half of the season than UNLV, I, in my true beliefs. You know that they, they lost these games as well, Chris, but they, I, I feel that they played, if not better, they played on an equal pace with UNLV in the second half. Does that mean that there's upset alert? I don't think so. I think UNLV gets the job done. They're the better team, right? We believe that. But the problem is when you're, just like with the Raiders, right? When you're in a losing streak like this, it's the stress, the uh, magnification of, instead of, like you said, four and one, we only need two wins to get bowl eligible. Now you're four and six. We only need two wins to get bowl eligible. We only have two games left, including a rivalry game the week after, which we already know how that sets itself apart. So is there upset alert? Maybe. I think they win. I think they get it done. But you can't really say that that's a, for certainty is going to happen because you just said it. Now you're going to a destination. I would have to believe that they're going to go out and at least explore some some what. I mean, that's part of the, the gig, right, Chris? And I don't know if, if they get behind early or if it's close. There There's a problem there. They're going to have to – I think they're going to have to get establish a lead and just kind of dominate and wear the clock out on Hawaii in order to, to come away with this. But I think they can do it. I'm more worried about the final game again at the end of the year more so than next week, but that does not mean that they can't lose next week as well. Absolutely, Tim. And look, it's a Hawaii team that's sitting, what, 2-9? and nine? And they're challenged, but I don't necessarily think it's a team that's offensively challenged. I mean, last week they ended up putting a 34 spot up in the 41-34 loss to Utah State in which, you know, had Shager going out there, threw for 300 yards and a couple of touchdowns. If he, if he doesn't have those three picks, Hawaii, this, this, this story could have been very different in this matchup between the Aggies and Hawaii. So they've got Parson on the ground who, you know, had a solid game and can run the football. They've got some pieces like Bowens and, uh, and Pinoke in, as far as wide receivers, and even, and even Wade Hall, you know, is, is someone that has to be respected. So 
This isn't some, you know, uh, just absolutely horrendous Hawaii team that they're going to be playing next week. So, uh, upset alert. I don't know if I'd necessarily go that that direction when it comes to Hawaii, but this is by no stretch of the imagination a, a deal where the Rebels should be uh, uh, thinking that uh, they're, they're safe in it by any stretch of the imagination. Now, you point out, look, it's, it's, it's a battle for the Fremont can, right? Last game of the year. And this is a really bad, I mean, a really bad Nevada football team. Yeah. And uh, that was on display. It's been on display for a number of weeks, but it was even on display this, this, this week as well, too. I have full expectations that they're going to win that last game of the season here at Allegiant Stadium on that Saturday afternoon. But this is dicey, Tim. This, this Hawaii thing, I, I don't know, man. I, I think this could be a scenario in which, you know, with the circumstances present themselves where they could, they could be <coughs> maybe on the losing end of this one. I, I don't, I don't want to necessarily be Debbie Downer, right, or uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, but I, it's, this, is, this, is, this isn't by any stretch of the imagination a scenario where the Rebels are, are going to be some, or, or deserve to be, some double-digit favorite against Hawaii coming up this weekend. If you're not familiar, <clears throat> Hawaii's head coach, Timmy Chang, a very, very, uh, he had a great career at the University of Hawaii, very prolific in the passing game, spent a lot of time on some quality head coaching staffs around college football. So this is a situation where he walked into it knowing there was a rebuild happening, and you could already see, like we said, pieces of the, the, the Timmy Chang effect starting to take, take hold there. So, yeah, I agree. It's something they should not be overlooking. And do you know, Chris, that it, is it they have to get six to the bowl because they play the 12 games, or is five still potentially eligible there? I know Syracuse did it a couple years back. Yeah, there's been a couple situations, right, where especially teams in the uh, Power Five conferences where they've gotten five wins in certain seasons and been invited to bowl games or have gotten to bowl games because of, you know, all the other reasons being, uh, you know, name recognition or whatever. But th- that's not going to be the scenario with, with a team like UNLV or a Mountain West team. It's just not. So they're going to have to get to six wins. And that's been the magic number, right, all year long. That's, that was been the discussion is essentially six wins. It was six and six, or if they were, you know, if they were able to get to over 500, it, they were going to get a chance to beat it. But this is something kind of – this is interesting to talk about, right, Tim? Maybe we should bounce this around a little bit. I mean, what are we talking about here, right? We're talking about uh, if you do end up being – and I say it in that way – end up being bowl eligible, if you're UNLV, what are you going to? You're going to a mid-December bowl, essentially, right? You're going to go to one of the first, the bowls in the first two weeks that tend to be in a lot of the venues where they have major polls basically two weeks later, right, at the end of December or New Year's Day or after, where, you know, you're going to Orlando, you're going to Tampa, you're going to a lot of these places where they have these, these smaller-level bowls that, that are, you know, December 15th or December 20th or 21st which are just, they, I mean, they're bowl games to be bowl games, right? Let's be honest about it. So, I mean, I don't, I don't even know how big a deal that is. You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, mean I guess it, it's kind of a big deal for UNLV because they haven't been to a bowl in, in a while. But I just think it's, it's kind of uh, anticlimactic is maybe the way I would describe it regarding, if, you know, the type of bowl. They're not going to the Orange Bowl, right? They're not going to <laughs> no. even the Music City Bowl. Probably they're going to go to one of the lower level bowls. I just don't know what that means 
as far as exposure and as far as as far as any as far as positive developments regarding UNLV Rebel football, Tim, in the long term, given that it's not exactly going to be some type of high-profile situation they're going to be in if they do end up making it to the postseason this year in college football. No, I agree 100% on that. Let's, uh, let's talk about the basketball team then, Chris, right? Opening week just concluded on the uh, NCAA men's basketball side of things, and UNLV with two home wins, 66-56 over Southern on Monday night. And then you said it. You were there Saturday afternoon in front of a not-packed house at the MAC for an 88-63 win over Incarnate Word. So 2-0. and uh, What are your thoughts so far on this team? I know you and I uh, talked privately about UNLV's struggles in scoring. And, and even so, in that 88 88- points that they put up Saturday, you can still see issues there, Chris, with uh, who, who the go-to guys are. I think Gilbert's obviously stepping up right now, but who else do the Rebels have here? Yeah, it's interesting, Tim, because it's a team, obviously, with eight new people that are in, in that locker room for UNLV and the Runner Rebels, so it's still a, a, a work in progress is the way I describe it when it comes to running Rebel basketball. Yes, they got a couple of victories over you know a Southland Conference team in uh, in Incarnate Word, and then of course the win on Monday against Southern University out of the SWAC. Not exactly two college basketball powerhouses, Tim. And it's not. Uh, and people have questions as to you know what what is the benefit to playing these type of schools when uh, you know you're essentially much more talented and and going to put on much more of a show than these teams are that you're actually playing. But they get the win 88-63. You do like that uh, Keyshawn Gilbert is out there dropping a 23 spot and kind of establishing himself as one of the key offensive guys. I think it's going to be Keyshawn Gilbert, Tim, that's going to be one of the big-time players. Rodriguez as well, too. Now, this is, again, another one of the transfers. Uh, had a decent game the other night, shot 5 of 6, ended up with 10 points and double digits. And the, this kid Johnson, uh, Johnson the third as well, too, a scrappy 5'11 kind of guard uh, along the lines of a not exactly uh, a guy that's uh, shot shot happy like a like a Javon Mooring Tim but a, a kid that I think offensively will be able to uh, kind of establish an identity but that's going to be the big key Tim to this team is is offensively where is the offense going to come from now defensively I think they're going to be okay Milwaukee like him in the middle you even like Parquet, and you like and you like Harkless, and some of these, especially Harkless, when it comes to perimeter defense. Harkless, of course, the uh, guard that transferred in from Oklahoma. Uh, uh, obviously, Kevin's father, Lon's uh, program, there. So, Kevin, very familiar with him. But it's, I mean, it, offensively, I'm telling you, like, I mean, Keyshawn Gilbert's not at a point yet where he's going to be a Bryce Hamilton, right, or even a, even a Stretch Williams, for that matter. He's still kind of a young guy trying to figure out where his game is going to go from an offensive standpoint. But, uh, again, that's why it's so hard, right, Tim, to gauge against these teams like Incarnate Word, who, you know, it basically had it, – it, it was – we were kidding because myself, Brian Feldman, some others, some other media members were sitting there and watching this team and – and there were a lot of tongue-in-cheek comments, Tim, regarding their opponents as if the likes of Bishop Gorman and some other teams could absolutely play 
with these squads that were out there. And yet, Incarnate Word out-rebounded UNLV in the first half and was in the ballgame. I mean, they were in the ballgame in the first half. UNLV pulled away just from a talent standpoint in the second half. So there's a lot of identity issues yet for this UNLV runner Rebel basketball team, Tim. And Kevin Kruger, look, in his second year as a head coach, is uh, got some figuring out to do as well. And it's the wake-up call is coming real quick, Tim, real quick, because they're taking on a top 25 team uh, Tuesday in the Dayton Flyers. Of course, everybody, college basketball fans remember this is a Dayton Flyer program that was right there in the mix of a national championship discussion just a matter of, what, two years ago. And then, of course, because of COVID-19, they got hosed and weren't even even, you know, compete for a national championship. But they, it's still a program that, that, that gets some pretty solid talent across the board. And this is not going to be the likes of the Cardinal and the Southern Jaguars coming to town on Tuesday night. This is going to be a top tier, probably the best team that they'll face other than maybe Virginia all season long for UNLV. So uh, it, it, could be a, uh, it could be a humbling experience, Mr. Oglesby, for the running Rebels coming up in their next matchup on Tuesday night down at the Thomas and Mac. Yeah, Flyers coming to town. Keep an eye on these guys. And Chris, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be there, so save me a seat, my friend. But keep an eye on these guys. Kamara, Mzeal, both European, both big, both in the front court. Those are the horses right now on Dayton. So I hope that uh, you and I and whoever else from our, our group of the group, the group that nobody wants to talk about in Vegas. I hope that group all sits together Tuesday night at the MAC. You know it's going to be the contingent, right, Mr. Oglesby? <laughs> it'll, be the, it'll be the cynical slash with sometimes occasional positive comments regarding <laughs> UNLV runner Rebel Basketball. That is our contingent of the Las Vegas media. And as you pointed out at the top of the show, Tim, we, look, all kidding aside, we have covered this team for you know over a decade, at least I have, and you have too, where it's just been futility across the board. This is a team that hasn't been to the NCAA tournament since I want to say 2013, right, with that matchup against the Cal Bears and Allen Crabb. That's the last time this team has been in the NCAA tournament. To me, I think that's beyond ridiculous, and it makes absolutely zero sense to me, given the conference that they play in, the other name programs that are in this conference, I, I find it pretty much beyond redonkulous that they're not con, you know, either contending for a Mountain West championship every year or in the discussion to be able to play in the big dance every single year. That's where the expectation should be. I think that's the expectation that Kevin Kruger wants to get them back to. But as of right now, with this team this year, I don't know if that necessarily is going to be the expectations. And uh, it's a, I think a very good reason for that is going to be on display on Tuesday against the Flyers here in Vegas. One down, one to go. Chris Wynn, Tim Unglesby, Heatwave Sports, Super Sunday night, hour two, NFL Week 10. We're going to give you the sneak peek to Week 11 as well, so stay tuned for that. We're back in a few short, short minutes. It's Heatwave Sports here on Fox Sports Radio. Are you ready? Now back to Heatway Sports. Week 
number 10 of the National Football League. A lot of halfway points for the teams now as we're 18 week season, we know that. So we're gonna break this down for you. We, we spent some time with the Raiders and the Colts in hour one. Uh, really not much to talk about in that game. Colts win with a high school football coach who was sitting or calling basically analyst work and the Raiders, well, we, we broke that enough down in our one. You can listen to it over on the podcast, LV Sports Network, Heat Wave Sports, over on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you chart your podcast, you can find the show. And a quick reminder, we are off next Saturday for Vegas Golden Night Hockey, but we'll be back Sunday for Week 11 Recap and whatever else happens in the world of sports as you never know what is happening in the world of sports. Tim Unglesby and Chris Wynn here in hour number two. And Chris, we'll start with your team. How about your team? We'll start with the Detroit Lions. They come from behind, win 31-30. They put up a 21 spot on Tommy's Bears in the fourth quarter. I kind of wish Tommy was on the show tonight so you can give him the business, but your boys get the job done for their third win of the season. Mr. Barton getting getting home scot free, baby. Not having to uh, deal with C. Win after the Detroit Lions. Tim break out the presses. Two straight wins in the division in the NFC North as they get the victory last week over Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers at home. But an even bigger deal is they go on the road and get there. They're one of the few teams left in the NFL, Tim, without a road victory here in this 2022 season and they go on the road, get their first win at Soldier Field against an upstart Chicago Bear team that uh, had a lot of Bear fans feeling pretty good about Justin Fields, right? About what he brings to the table as a quarterback. He's a young guy that's exciting, and that's what the Bears and their fans need is young players that are exciting there that can make them feel good about that franchise moving forward. But the Bears cough up a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter and the Detroit Lions come back. Jamal Williams with that touchdown there in the closing minutes. Jared Goff throw through for a paltry look, 236 through the air and a touchdown. But this guy just finds a way to win. And another big play for the Lions on defense as the number three pick overall in last year's draft, Jeff Okuda, returns an interception against his college teammate at Ohio State. And it was a big-time play there in the fourth to rally them for their second straight win after losing five games in a row. By the way, Tim, a little fun fact for the Detroit Lions. It's been almost 30 years since they trailed by 14 points in the fourth quarter and came back in the division to win a football game. So uh, hopefully, look, this is a team that has a, a lot of very bad historical streaks going on regarding playoff wins and some other things. Well, that's one that went by the wayside Maybe uh, sooner than later, the Detroit Lions might find a way to get into the playoffs and win a playoff game so they can snap that streak as well, too. But here's the deal. Uh, this is a Detroit Lions team, obviously, because of hard knocks, got some na nationwide coverage, and you've got even fans that are not fans of the Lions but are fans of the NFL saying, look, it's hard not to root for this team. I mean, I guess I kind of get it. And, you know, it's, there's – but to me, there's kind of a – uh, I, I don't know. It's kind of a it's kind of a uh, a, a, a shady kind of look to me. I, I I don't buy into it yet. Regarding Dan Campbell as a head coach in the NFL, 
yes, I do. Obviously, as a Lions fan, you're happy that you get a couple of wins against a couple of division teams. But that Packers team last week that the Lions beat, nobody should be, nobody is uh, jumping for joy, Mr. Oglesby, that, uh, when it comes to all things Honolulu blue and silver, that they're able to knock off that Packer team last week. And the Bears have not exactly been one of the best teams in the NFL this year either. So while it's great because it's in the NFC North, it's in the division, and you get some wins, it's still uh, uh, still not exactly going to uh, jump all over uh, the Detroit Lions are on their way back bandwagon in any way, shape, or form. Chris, what are you boys doing, man? You had one win. You won two in a row now. You're just giving up on C.J. Stroud? Is that what the is this the deal here? Yeah, because you look at now. It's what you know. It's funny <laughs> is you look at the the NFL mock drafts, right, Tim? And the Lions are kind of playing their way out of the top three here. And there's even discussion that the Raiders might be a, a team that's going to end up getting the C.J. Stroud or one of those top one of those top quarterbacks. So, yeah, absolutely. I've seen mock drafts where the kid the uh, the defensive lineman from from uh, I believe Cal is going to be uh, is that right now on the uh, is 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 in the uh, in the crosshairs for the Detroit Lions, if you will, when it comes to the draft. So uh, it may be it may be look it may be some short term joy here for us Lions fans getting these victories, but it could screw us come draft time when we're trying to get maybe a generational talent at the quarterback position. And someone that's going to replace Jared Goff after he's kind of the, the placeholder for the Lions as the signal caller. Sundays are generally, already generally tough for me and probably for you, Chris, because we are creatures of habit. You work late and then you like to go out and unwind. Saturday night I work late and I like to... Uh, it's not easy just to go home and go right to bed. And, and these 6 o'clock, 6.30... European games have really messed with me this year. There's, it seems like there's more and more every year, actually. And today, again, uh, up early to watch this one, Mr. Brady. They're in Germany on display. Two-touchdown lead after the half, and they hang on to knock off Seattle. So Tampa on a little run right now. 21-16, they get the win. Mr. Brady, 258, two touchdowns. Uh, effective day for him, still with a a question mark of, of whose offensive weapons were today. Rashad White with a big game. You saw Julio Jones again with a touchdown. So pieces coming together for Mr. Brady and in that division especially where, look, you got Carolina, New Orleans, and Atlanta. Tampa's winning that division. So 5-5, five and five, it's hard to say how can you be a division winner. Look at the division they're in. I think Tampa wins that division. And they're actually kind of coming together, Chris, at the right time. Absolutely, Tim. And look, it's Tom Brady. It's the GOAT. So he's had his share of football games that are memorable and, you know, NFL experiences that are going to go down and that he's going to remember. And he just, he said, look, that, that raucous crowd there over in Germany for the first ever football game, NFL regular season game in Germany being played, that, uh, that Allianz Arena was just electric, he said. And it says a lot for a guy that's been, what, 23 years in the NFL. So yeah, he pointed out how great that was. Uh, of course, Brady, what, stays undefeated going overseas for football games. A couple of touchdown passes for Brady. Uh, Julio Jones, it, obviously the Buccaneers are going to be pleased that 
that he's kind of getting himself in the mix and that gives them one other option. And, of course, Chris Godwin also uh, connecting with Brady on a touchdown pass. And Leonard Fournette has always been kind of that bell cow, right? He's the guy that is in that backfield, can be the uh, – can, can balance out that offense. And so now the Tampa Bay Buccaneers improved to 500 on the season. And we kind of talked about this division as for, for a little while there, nobody seemed to want to take the reins of that division and, and, and pull away. And I, I would concur with you though. I think Tampa Bay absolutely is a class of that division. Uh, despite the fact that you had, you've had some uh, bright moments for other teams there. And the German fans packed that arena, Tim, and uh, the Bucks were delivering by a uh, very balanced offensive performance, including those three long scoring drives. And uh, how about Rashad White? Uh, Got to give him a little shout-out. The guy ran for, what, 105 yards on 22 carries and ended up uh, is going to be a solid option for this Tampa Bay offense moving forward as someone that can kind of offset Leonard Fournette and maybe give him a breather where he can be a part of that team. So... You have uh, Tom Brady with a solid game, 258 yards through the air. And now he adds Germany to the list of his international wins, Mr. Ugglesby, after winning twice in London. And then he had that Mexico City win also with the Patriots as well, too. And in this game, it was 21-3 there in the fourth quarter. You had Geno Smith throw a couple uh, through uh, touchdown passes to Lockett. And that, uh, and that Marquise Goodwin touchdown that make it 21-16 and make this extremely interesting with just under four minutes to play. But the Bucks able to hold on and get the victory over the Seattle Seahawks. Can I throw in one personal note too, my friend, Mr. Oglesby? Mm-hmm. There are not a lot of people that play Division Three football that get an opportunity to play in the National Football League. It just doesn't happen much. Yes, there are the occasional guys from the Wisconsin Whitewaters and some of these other schools that get a chance to play in the NFL and have a cup of coffee maybe. But Division three players just prominently don't get a shot at that level. And particularly from my, my college, sir, from Framingham State College in Massachusetts, just outside of Boston, where I had the, you know, the fine opportunity to play two seasons of Division three college football there. We have a guy now who has made an active roster in the NFL I'm talking about Josh Onanwaju, who is a 6'2", 250-pound linebacker with the Seattle Seahawks, who made his debut on the active roster last week in the win over Arizona, where he had three tackles in that game. Tim, I cannot emphasize enough to you, it just doesn't happen. And I believe it's the first person ever from the MASCAC, that's the conference where I played in at Framingham State. We haven't had one player, I believe, uh, and look, I, I haven't done a deep dive research, but I'm pretty sure there hasn't been one player from my conference that's played in the NFL. So I, I have to give a shout out to my guy, Josh, who is now on the active roster for the Seattle Seahawks, playing the game again today for Seattle and is on that team. So a very proud moment for us, the Framingham State Rams, to have a Division Three guy playing in the NFL. Yeah, that's that's definitely really cool, actually. And uh, Hope he, hope he continues to prosper in the NFL. I mean, that's a, like you said, that's accomplishment to, to do that coming from a D3 school. Do you, do you even mess around with these games, Chris? I know, I know, you know, you get off work, you go relax at wherever you go. Could be a, a, another bar, could be at home. 
maybe go play some Caveman Kino if everybody listening knows about Chris. You know, you go do that. Are you even messing around with these 630 games? 100%, Tim. Absolutely. <laughs> and especially when I have action going. And this is a game I was, again, I was paying attention again because I had, you know, a, a, a kid from my college playing in the game, so I was, I was focused. But I also had, I did have action on it. So I am not, as you know, Tim, I'm not one who's shy to head around to some of my favorite watering holes, even, yes, at 6.30 a.m. on a Sunday afternoon. That's exactly what I was doing. I was, I was down the road from my house and uh, at a, at a uh, establishment right off of Decatur over here where I got a chance to check it out, and I was kind of surprised there was actually uh, a contingency of uh, Buccaneers fans that were down there as well, too. Yes. So the answer to the question is absolutely, Tim. I do mess around with these early starts. Look, it's it's Sunday. So it, it's uh, and we understand being here on the West Coast that football starts early on Sunday out here, even when just for uh, any average NFL Sunday where kickoffs are at 10 a.m., that's not the norm back east. Back east, everything's one o'clock in the afternoon, and it's it's kind of a different kind of feel. So it's a few hours earlier, Tim. But hey, yes, absolutely, do get involved when these games are across the pond, and we get a chance to get the early kickoffs going strong here in Vegas. I knew the answer to that. I just wanted you to say it because <laughs> we are creatures of habit. Like I said, there's no doubt about that. In Pittsburgh, the Steelers pick up win number three on the year, 20-10. to 10, They beat the Saints. Kind of, um, I'm not trying to say that maybe this is a turnaround for, for Pittsburgh, but they, they had a lot of their identity. I guess we can put it that way. Their identity showed up here. What do we know the Steelers for? Well, defense, right? Defense was strong. I know it was the Saints that they're playing, and, and they've completely went in the tank since an early, uh, mid-season run. But the defense was huge today. They ran the ball, right? That's Steeler football. They ran the ball well. Najee Harris probably had his best game of the year, 99 yards on the ground. Kenny Pickett had 50 on the ground as well. And they didn't turn the ball over. All staples of Pittsburgh Steeler football, Chris. They get a 2010 win. They're 3-6. and six. Playoffs, I mean, we can't close the door on it yet. But, you know, they have, a, they have a tough road to hoe, as they say. But I think if you're a Steeler fan, you saw a lot of things that you liked today about this team. Yeah, I think if you're Pittsburgh, you're probably going to be on the outside looking in when it comes to the AFC playoff picture. But a positive development regarding this team, especially defensively, when you get T.J. Watt back in the mix, right? He is the heartbeat of that Steeler defense. He is obviously a big key and uh, was absolutely that way in this matchup against the New Orleans Saints on this Sunday. Got to be pleased, too. You get Kenny Pickett and George Pickens both uh, ran for one-yard touchdowns in this game. And the Steelers, with that rejuvenated defense uh, and getting a chance to see, you know, J.J. Watt with that number 98 out there once again coming off the edge, essentially shutting down the Saints there late, right, in this game in a 20-10 victory. That, uh, man, look, and, and Watt even talked about after the game. He says, look, there's still time for the Steelers to make something out of 2022. And we'll see how that works out because any path Pittsburgh navigates to kind of be a factor down the stretch is going to rely on the likes of Watt and some of those other pieces on the defensive end of it. But uh, the Steelers win over New Orleans in this game looked a little bit like their week one game, right, where they were in Cincinnati against the Bengals, where the defense was able to kind of get, you know, a lot of sacks and turnovers, Tim, with a a little sense of regularity, and it ended up being a big key, and that was exactly the same situation here 
with New Orleans. The Saints, I mean, it's just it's just really tough when you've got look, you got Andy Dalton out there. You 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 it's it's not the contingency that you thought was gonna be it's just not the personnel that you thought were gonna be out there. Obviously, Michael Thomas, essentially, you know, uh, one of their huge pieces on offense, no longer there. Chris Olave did not have the impact you expected him to have in a game like this today. We're, we're looking for Chris Olave to be like a number one guy, right? I, that's my expectation, at least. He's going to be a number one receiver in this league. He did not establish himself whatsoever in this game at all. And look, it, it, it just wasn't the defense that rediscovered its identity. Also, Pittsburgh on the ground was outstanding. What, 217 yards, including, oh, you know, the, the magic 99 number for Najee Harris. And Kenny Pickett had 51 on the ground as well, too. And they didn't turn the ball over at all for the third time this season. So the Steelers undefeated in games in which they don't cough the pumpkin up, Tim. And that was the case in this matchup against New Orleans, too. So solid win for Pittsburgh. I just don't know if necessarily if you take a look at their schedule and and you look at how things shake out in the AFC, they're going to be a big-time player. But it was absolutely made Steelers fans happy to get the win on this Sunday against New Orleans. Take a look at next week, AFC North matchup here. So Pittsburgh will remain at home. They welcome in the Bengals. I don't know which way do you lean here. Bengals off a bye. Steelers look good this week. If you're a Steeler fan, you're getting five points next week, Chris. Yeah, I'd probably, in my initial reaction, Tim, is just to probably stay away from it, given uh, this is, it's a division game. And the Bengals are just uh, one of those Jekyll and Hyde teams that, uh, you know, if they don't have some of their big guns out there, it's just tough to predict what direction they could go. They still can run the football, obviously, with the likes of Joe Mixon, and you still expect them to have some proficiency through the air, uh, regardless if, if they have Jamar Chase or not. But this absolutely, Tim, screams stay away from me when it comes to a betting standpoint or a handicapping standpoint, given uh, the question marks with both of these teams. Here come the Niners. McCaffrey with a late touchdown seals this one 22-16. They knock off the charge. We saw that on Sunday Night Football tonight. And the addition of Christian McCaffrey has been huge for San Francisco, as we assumed it would be, Chris. They're now 5-4 and four and right in the mix in that division. Yeah, look, for all the talk about how dynamic the Niners offense could look with McCaffrey and Debo Samuel, let's be straight up and honest about it, Tim. It was the the defense that led the way once again. You had uh, McCaffrey, obviously, with that go-ahead touchdown there with just under eight minutes to play in the game. Yeah, I mean, the, the Chargers were, you know, up in this game most of the game. It, as someone who did have action uh, on the Chargers at that that plus seven and a hook number, I was you know fairly confident throughout most of the game and feeling pretty good as you watch this Charger team. Now you weren't overly you know uh, loving the Chargers offensively because they, there was many chances where they had a chance to score touchdowns and end up coming away with field goals. But it was uh, I mean they were right there, and of course uh, had them they they had San Francisco on their heels there going into the fourth quarter. And uh, and it ends up being San Francisco coming back in the you know first game back from the bye week and getting it done. Kyle Shanahan, you know, was cautiously 
uh, touting his team a little bit, right? He said he wants to play better. They want to, you know, because uh, Shanahan's the kind of guy who says he wants to blow people out. He wants to score every time that we have a chance. And you have the uh, a San Francisco team that comes back from that midseason break pretty much as healthy as they've been all year, right, Tim, when it comes to the offensive side of the football especially. And when it comes to the NFC, this is the Niners team looking to make a run. I mean, it's just, this is flat out what this team's going to be about. They're going to try to make a run. They want, they're going to, they've already vaunted themselves up with the acquisition of Christian McCaffrey being one of the marquee teams in the NFC, especially with the likes of teams like the Rams just falling off the map. So uh, it was a chance for the Niners to kind of flex their muscles. They're able to get the win. They didn't cover, so I'm not sure exactly how it's going to shake out for Las Vegas Sportsbooks, but uh, the Niners falling behind by 10 points here in the second quarter uh, end up rallying, and Jimmy Garoppolo had that one-yard touchdown sneak in the second quarter and then made the, the biggest play when he hit uh, Brandon Ayuk on that 24-yard pass on that third and 10 from uh, the Chargers' 26-yard line midway through the fourth quarter. That was a big-time play. So, And that's when, of course, Matt McCaffrey, the next play, ran it in on the next play. And McCaffrey, by the way, he's accounted for, what, four touchdowns in three games since arriving from uh, Carolina in that midseason trade. We all expected that McCaffrey is going to be a big-time factor. He has been. And a nice win for San Francisco getting uh, to uh, pull this one out against against the former San Diego Chargers. They've won two in a row. They are a game behind Seattle in the West. Uh, you know, that's very – you're talking about trying to, to put together a potential playoff landscape, and really that division's up for grabs just like – basically every division in the, in the AFC is up for grabs except for – the north where the vikings are sitting at eight and one but they're in the west it's not the you know the rams look terrible cardinals even though they beat the rams they look terrible so it's it's definitely was a great trade we we thought that when it happened but it's already paying dividends in san francisco sitting right there right behind seattle and it, and on the other side of things right to tim the chargers this is a team that was playing without both starting tackles and wide receivers, and you had you know Los Angeles essentially failing on those two late chances, and uh, they took over you know at their own one with just over two minutes left to play, but uh, ended up turning it over on downs when Her when you know Justin Herbert had that pass on fourth and three from his own eight went off of a Joshua Palmer's hands for an incompletion. I mean they, they had numerous chances to get Joshua Palmer involved too in this offense. We understand obviously when you have injuries to wide receivers, you got to have guys that step up. I thought Joshua Palmer would be that guy for the Chargers. He, he's had some spots where he's been okay, but he just hasn't necessarily been able to kind of grab that bull by the horns and be that guy. He's going to have to if the Chargers are going to kind of, uh, you know, get themselves up into the playoff picture in the AFC. Tommy and I joked about it. I, it was either last week or the week before we talked about how Keenan Allen missed again, like you said, the receivers, both him and Williams, out today. But Keenan Allen's missed practically the whole season uh, with a hamstring injury, right, Chris? And Brian Robinson, the running back for the the commanders that you're going to see tomorrow night on Monday Night Football, literally got shot twice and was back within a month. Isn't that ridiculous? Yeah, Tim, Keenan Allen has been the essentially the Darren Waller of the Las Vegas Raiders <laughs> for the Chargers this year. 
where you know you got a big a piece of a guy that's supposed to be a big time piece of your offense that has just essentially been non-existent the entire season. That's the case when you talk about Allen with Los Angeles and of course Waller in Vegas. Tennessee, first place in the South, AFC South, now six and three, with a 17-10 hard-fought win at home over Denver. Uh, also, a game came from behind in the second half to win. You know, for Denver, and we kind of touched on them a little bit in the first hour. For all the issues with Russell Wilson, they had this game. They effectively had shut down Derrick Henry. Right, they kept him to 50 yards, less than three yards per per carry. But uh, Ryan Tannehill back under center for Tennessee, two touchdown passes, including a game winner there in the, th- in the third quarter to get it done. And the defense, Tennessee's defense, you talked about the defense of San Francisco. Tennessee's defense has been on on it here in the last four games. And now they sit with a nice two-game lead there in division. Yeah, another team rallying from deficits, right, Tim? This is a Tennessee team that gets Ryan Tannehill back after the injury, and he returns after missing the last two games with that sprained ankle and uh, throws a couple touchdown passes to uh, Westbrook uh, uh, E.K. Heaney, I think is the right way to pronounce his name. Uh, a guy who, quite frankly, I had no idea what, who, who he was. And they end up rallying from a 10-point deficit to get this win over the Broncos. Uh, this is a Tennessee team that's won for, what, the sixth time in seven games. Mm-hmm. And, look, Ryan Tannehill didn't look great early. Make no mistake about that. As uh, they fell behind in the game in the second quarter. And were it, when it came to total yards, too, they were just getting destroyed. Tim, it was like 208 to 53 just before halftime. And the Broncos, this is a team that's coming in, rested off a bye. And look, this is a Broncos team that has lost five of six now, is beyond reeling. We talk about the Raiders reeling. Broncos are absolutely doing that as well, too. And, you know, look, Nathaniel Hackett talked about it after the game. This is a Broncos team that has five losses by a combined 21 points. If it's a Broncos game, Tim, it's another close game, another one-score game in which they lose. And it's a defense that, uh, you know, they look, they felt like the defense stepped up to the challenge when it came to Derrick Henry. And the offense just didn't hold their held their own. You know, they, they just didn't. Uh, Derrick Henry, what, 53 yards on 19 carries? And this is a guy that had an NFL rushing leader streak of, what, five straight 100-yard rushing game. So Broncos had a ton of chances, Tim, and they could not score after halftime. Russell Wilson had a chance to tie the game there. He had that pass there on fourth and eight from the Titans. 25 gets ended up getting tipped, and then you know Terrence Mitchell picks that off with 11 seconds left, and it was just more frustration for the uh, uh, you know Bronco fan up there in Denver is is the picture of frustration right now, Tim, because. This is a trade, obviously, for Russell Wilson where they thought, oh, we're getting one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. We're getting a guy that was an MVP. We're getting a guy that can be a difference maker. And it hasn't worked out that way for the Bronco faithful up there. And uh, when it came to Russell Wilson, he counted for, what, 70 yards on a drive that capped that uh, nine-yard touchdown pass to, to Westbrook Aquina, as I pointed out, to kind of pull within 10-7. to 7. And then, uh, you know, it just... And, and the guy had, what, 119 yards receiving, which was a career high, and his first career 2-TT game, but it just wasn't, uh, you know, and it, was, and it was just too much for the Broncos. 
And this was this game, by the way, Tim, screamed under. I'm certain of it that Vegas probably took a bath when it came to the total on this game because everybody, I think, and their brother and mother and sister and cousins were betting <laughs> the under in this game and were smiling ear to ear throughout most of this as you saw both these teams struggle to put points up on the board. We had a fun one over at Lambeau. Kind of reminded me of the the past rivalry that was the Dallas Cowboys and the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay, nice home win in overtime, 31-28. Aaron Rodgers, three touchdowns. Dak Prescott had three touchdowns. He had two costly interceptions, though, as well in this game. Aaron Jones ran crazy. Tony Pollard ran crazy. CeeDee Lamb with a big game, Chris. And Christian Watson. Who the hell is Christian Watson? Had a big game, three touchdowns for the Packers. They win. Bad loss for Dallas. Nice win for Green Bay. Yeah, as as you know, a, a fellow NFC North fandom that I have, it was kind of tough to watch to see the Packers come back there because it looked like Green Bay was on its way to losing six straight games in the same season for the first time since 1988. They're down what 14 points there in the fourth quarter before Aaron Rodgers leads them on those two long drives that end up with uh, scoring passes to, to Christian Watson there. And, I mean, this is a guy that ended the game with, what, 10 catches for 88 yards in essentially what's been an injury-riddled season for him in his rookie year. He catches four passes for 107 against the Cowboys, and he's got, you know, three touchdowns of 58, 39, and 7 yards. He's the first Packer rookie to do that since, here's a name for you, Mr. Oglesby, Keith Woodside back in 1988 to have multiple touchdown catches in a game as a rookie. And there was first TDs of his career, by the way, although he did reach the end zone uh, as far as a rusher back against the Patriots back on October 2nd. But Rodgers bounces back after that debacle in Detroit last week where he was an interception-throwing machine where he threw three picks and which matched a career high in that loss to the Lions in Detroit. And Rodgers talked about it after the game, right? He said last week was definitely a low, rock-bottom-ish for sure, game for him. And you had to be happy also with getting Aaron Jones because he got banged. Aaron Jones banged up last week, and we didn't know how effective he be, would be coming into this game. <clears throat> Excuse me, but was absolutely uh, spectacular. Over 150 yards on the ground and through the air, and was a big key to establishing some balance offensively for the Packers as they kind of right the ship a little bit, right, Tim? Uh, look, they're still sitting at four and six but they're not completely out of the mix when it comes to the NFC, NFC playoff picture overall from a wild card standpoint. And uh, they still kind of uh, within within shouting distance, I should say, of the Minnesota Vikings in the NFC North getting a win over the Dallas Cowboys. Peak towards Thursday night football. Tennessee, we just talked about them. Green Bay stays at home, Lambeau Field. Can they stop the run? That's going to be the question. Will Derrick Henry have a big game? Is Are they revitalized? Are the Packers revitalized? They're two-and-a-half-point favorites, Chris, with Tennessee coming to town. Yeah, that's that's going to be a fun matchup just, just, just from you know, a running game standpoint for Tennessee, if they can establish it uh, against the likes of this Packer defense. Because think about it defensively. We were talking about the Packers before the season. They were supposed to be one of the best defenses in the NFC. And it has, really hasn't transpired to be that. Uh, ha- they have had flashes, but no one's going to say and look at this game against the Cowboys this week 
and say, oh, yeah, 31-28 game defensively, they were stellar. They just weren't. So they're going to look to kind of flex their muscles from that side of the football. And particularly when you're playing, you know, a Thursday night game at Lambeau against a team you should beat in the Tennessee Titans should be uh, another opportunity for the Packers to get, uh, you know, uh, one more game closer to that 500 mark that they need to be when it comes to this uh, Green Bay team in the NFC. Miami Dolphins are in first place in the AFC East, 7-3, 39-17. Pretty convincing win over the Browns, two or three touchdowns. And the Dolphins, that explosive offense, Chris, that's what they brought these guys in for is on display today. I'll tell you, Tim, Tua, the, the, the MVP chance in the second half, they started early and they didn't stop until after the game ended. The man continues to be scorching since his return from that concussion. The guy threw, what, three touchdown passes? Yep. And uh, the Dolphins uh, beat uh, the Browns for their fourth straight win. This was a game that was essentially a blowout by the fourth quarter. And you had Tua connecting with three different receivers for his third straight three-touchdown performance. So I'm sure a lot of you fantasy football players out there that have two on your team are are uh, pretty ecstatic. I happen to be one of them, Tim, because I happen to bench uh, Josh Allen, a game we're going to talk about later on, in favor of Tua. But uh, since returning in Week 7, this is some, Tua's got 10 touchdown passes, no picks, and two, two, what he had 285 yards through the air. And the Dolphins, you know, behind Mike McDaniel there, the eccentric, kind of weird head coach, moving to first place alone in the AFC East, overtaking the Bills, who, of course, had that loss in overtime to the, to the Vikings and uh, drop into a tie with the New York Jets at 6-3 and three, uh, in the stop. The, the, the Buffalo Bills, by the way, dropped to 6-3 and three into a tie with the Jets. And uh, Tua talked about it. It's like he said he was, he was flattered by the crowd, hyping him up as an MVP candidate and said, look, it would be cool, but we have much bigger goals and aspirations that we are looking to attain as a team you got to like what Jeff Wilson did on the ground as well, too, right, Tim? 119 yards on the ground on 17 carries. And just the total offense for the Dolphins, almost 500 yards of total offense. And on the Cleveland side of things, look, you got that touchdown there on the opening drive thanks to, uh, you know, that Jerome Ford big kickoff return. But uh, offensively for Cleveland, you, you they weren't able to get Chubb. I mean, Chubb had a decent game, but Jacoby Brissett, Kind of a paltry 212 with uh, you know that one touchdown pass against one of his former teams. Um, Nick Chubb, 11 carries on 63 yards, which, uh, by the way, 33 of those were on that touchdown run in the fourth quarter. That's not the Nick Chubb that we're used to seeing. We're used to seeing you know Nick Chubb, uh, a guy that goes for 120-plus at least and usually a couple of touchdowns. And in a game like this against a high-powered offense of the Dolphins, you usually need a guy the caliber of Nick Chubb to kind of go off, and it just wasn't the case. And the Browns end up falling by the wayside to this Miami team today. You said Buffalo. How about this? Buffalo drops another game. Josh Allen, for all the good things that he's done, that he did today, being injured, um, running the ball, he, in the last two games, Chris, uh, this was a very telling stat if you look at the NFL. 
basically what I'm trying to say is the NFL season is you can break it up into so many different parts. And what is it generally is what have you done for me lately? Well, four times in the red zone, two, uh, four, four picks in the last two games in the red zone for Josh Allen. Previous to that in his career, he had one. That's, that's the problem. And what did it bring out? It brought out two L's. A 33-30 loss at home in overtime to Minnesota, by the way, which is 8-1 and one now. But what this loss did for Buffalo was it dropped them to first to third, like you said. And, I quite, you know, I, I like Josh Allen a lot. I want to have to think that his mental state right now is a little – it's bothering him because he was definitely forcing that ball into areas that he normally wouldn't, and it's cost him here in the last two weeks. Yeah, this is a – look, this is a Buffalo team that, that had this football game. I mean, they had it. I mean, it was, it was, it was signed, sealed, and delivered. And you want to talk about just one of the more wild games in the NFL this year? This absolutely qualifies as one of those. It ended up being just a sloppy yet kind of thrilling back-and-forth game between the, you know, two of the NFL's best teams, to be quite frank with you. I mean, we're talking about teams that could absolutely face each other come Super Bowl Sunday in the Minnesota Vikings and the Buffalo Bills. Yes, the Bills lost the football game, but we, we still understand what they, what they are. The Bills are one of the best teams in the AFC. You have that, that weird sequence where Josh Allen, all he's basically got to do is not fumble the ball on your own goal line in regulation, and they're going to win the game. But what ends up happening? Yeah, the Vikings somehow force a fumble and end up you know, getting the touchdown and improbably take the lead. Then you got the Bills coming back and driving down the field, and it was almost effortless, right? It was, I mean, Josh Allen just finding guys left and right, and they just they just matriculate down the field, as Chris Berman would say, and get themselves a field goal range where Tyler Bass ties the game up. So it goes to overtime, and then, you know, this is a Vikings team, Tim. I mean, it, look, you know, count this team out all you want. They're sitting at eight and one, and I'm one of the people that that just did not want to believe. You know, Kurt Cousins and the Vikings were going to be able to 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 be that team that could that could cause real issues for other squads in the NFC. They just flat out have been, and it's because of the likes of Patrick Peterson, it's because of Justin Jefferson. Another huge game for Jefferson, by the way, kind of solidifying himself in the realm of you know a top, easily definitely a top two or three receiver in the league, but possibly could be the best receiver in the league. And then in overtime, of course. You got uh, you know Minnesota goes down, and uh, and you think they're going to score a touchdown because they just kind of went right down the field in that that opening drive in overtime. They end up settling for a field goal, and again the again the Bills get the ball again in overtime, and they go down the field, and you think okay they're just going to kick a field goal, tie this game up, or they have a chance to actually score the touchdown. And of course you have Patrick Peterson intercepting Josh Allen there with a minute twelve left in OT to finally end this game in which essentially the Vikings rallied from a 17-point second-half de- deficit, end up getting the win. But there was exciting plays across the board the entire game, right? I mean, you had you know back-and-forth performance. You had Jefferson. You had uh, Dalvin Cook with a nice big touchdown run. You had it, – it was and, – and, of course, you had a number of guys on the Bills side of things that were scoring, scoring uh, in, in impressive fashion as well, too. It was two of the best teams on display – but it was kind of a sloppy game, and it was kind of a weird game, Tim. But in the end, Vikings get it done. 
and this is a team that has one blemish on the season. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it's against the likes of the Philadelphia Eagles. Is their one loss. So this is a Vikings team that is absolutely primed to be uh, at the top of the heap when it comes to the NFC as we go down the stretch here. A few more games to get through here on Heatwave Sports Super Sunday night. Tim Unglesby, Chris Wynn with you. Kansas City, Chris, starting to do the Kansas City. They're pulling away here in this AFC West. They've now won three in a row, seven and two on the season with a 27-17 win at home over Jacksonville. Tyreek Hill, who is the question as Mr. Mahomes, you talked about the MVP race, Mr. Mahomes, four more touchdowns today for KC to the likes of Valdez, Scantling, Kadarius, Tony, and Noah Gray. It's a machine, Chris. It's a machine. Let's just feed the parts. Yeah, kind of a coming out party. Look, we know it's Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes does what Pat Mahomes does. He throws touchdown passes and he does it a lot. Um, but it was a coming out party for Tony. This is, you know, this is, look, this is a guy who's had an injury. He's been injury prone left and right. Former first round draft pick who the Chiefs acquired in that trade with the Giants a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, later in the half, you had the injury to Smith Schuster, which has got to be concerning if you're the, obviously, if you're Kansas City. And because he was basically momentarily frozen in a, in a scene that kind of looked like uh, the Tua situation earlier on this season. Uh, and, the, and the officials end up throwing that flag for the helmet-to-helmet on a defenseless receiver. And, uh, you know, the explanation, of course, didn't sit well with the Chiefs as uh, Smith-Schuster had to be helped and walked off the field. Uh, and, of course, there's the issue with concussion protocol there. But Tony, big-time game. And Pat Mahomes, another just stellar situation where the guy goes out there, throws for 331, including touchdown passes to four different receivers. And the offense for Kansas City piling up nearly 500 yards, despite the fact they had three turnovers in the game, by the way, and end up with the 27-17 victory. This was a Jacksonville team that you felt like, hey, they're, they're going to have to offensively uh, kind of hang with them. And Christian Kirk had a you know solid game for Jacksonville at the wide receiver position with uh, the, touch, the multiple touchdowns and 105 yards through the air. And you had Trevor Lawrence with, what, two touchdown passes and almost 260 through the air. But it just wasn't enough as they weren't able to keep up with uh, Kansas City and from a, def- from a defensive standpoint for Jacksonville. And uh, the Chiefs end up on their way to their seventh victory of the season and never look back in this game against the Jags. And I know you saw the promos on Sunday Night Football. They're up next, next Sunday night, KC at the Chargers in L.A., SoFi. Huge division game. So the Chiefs with a two-game lead right now over the Chargers. We already know the problems the Chargers having with injuries and a very spirited loss today or tonight against the 49ers. It's going to be interesting, Tim, to see the injury situation. I, I of course, talked about Smith-Schuster. You've got McCole Harbin as well, too, who was inactive after scoring. The guy's got like five touchdowns. In his last three games for Kansas City, he did not play today. The Chris Lammons injury as well, too, as he was placed in uh, concussion protocol, the cornerback for the Chiefs, after taking the hit on that punt coverage in the first half. And then you got Andrew Wiley as well, too, the right tackle, who left in the first half with that elbow injury and did not return, too. So Chiefs dealing with some injuries going into that key AFC West matchup with the Chargers next Sunday night, as you pointed out. I'm wondering, Chris, was there 
a scheduling snafu here? Chargers in back-to-back Sunday night games? Was there a change somewhere? That's that's weird to me. Yeah, and it's not something that was flexed, obviously, right? Because I don't think that – correct me if I'm wrong, Tim, but I don't know if the, the Chargers are really necessarily flexed material by any stretch. I think it is just a quirky thing in the schedule that they uh, got going on. But uh, it's a, it, that being said, hey, it's the AFC West, so it, it adds some intrigue, right, when you've got mm-hmm. a, you know, a team in Kansas City taking on the Chargers in that matchup. So it's not like it's some kind of lane game that's going on, but it, uh, it's, it's always fun when you get a couple of division rivals going at it like this. And, uh, of course, you know, we both mentioned, of course, those two teams will go, will go at it. Jaguars off next week, right? And then they're going to play Tim Uglesby, Ra- Uglesby's Ravens on November 27th. So not exactly uh, easy pickets for the Jags. You, they, uh, you're, 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 uh, you, get, you get a chance to play the Chiefs, and now your next matchup is against one of the other better teams in the AFC in the Ravens coming up after your bye week. One more game here from Sunday. The Cardinals just talked about so far. They go there without Kyler Murray. Old Colt McCoy, Longhorn, Texas Longhorn Colt McCoy gets it done today. 27-17, they beat the Rams at home. So the defending champs, here's the bigger issue. The defending champs, Chris, 3-6. and six. Horrible on offense, right? Absolutely horrible. Matt Stafford. Nobody wants to say it, but you remember in the in the preseason when he was talking about there was a, a slight issue with the shoulder. He has not looked right at all this entire season. I think there may be more there than what's being said. Yeah, real, real serious concern. If you're a backer of the Los Angeles Rams, if you're a fan, or if you're in the organization, given the concussion protocol regarding Matthew Stafford. He just has not been the guy he was in 2021-22, Tim. It's a flat out just the way it is. And now you've got you know uh, a team that's lost Super Bowl MVP Cooper Cup now to possibly a serious ankle injury. It could be real tough sledding here for the Rams moving forward. You talked about this Arizona game earlier, earlier in the show, Tim, and this Arizona Cardinals team. This is not going to be one of those games you're jumping up in joy over. Uh, look, both teams played with their backup quarterbacks, of course. We talked about Stafford getting hurt. And, uh, you know, they end up going with John Wolford uh, in this game. But, hey, Colt McCoy, every game that this guy plays, he's, look, 36-year-old Colt McCoy, by the way, Tim, making us feel kind of old that that guy's already in his, you know, uh, heading towards his late 30s. But every time he gets a chance to step on the field, he, he realizes it could be his last. So he made it count today. Ends up going out there, has a touchdown pass to A.J. Green. Hit DeAndre Hopkins for a bunch of yards on 10 catches on the day. They get the win um, after after losing in a disappointing fashion last week to the Seattle Seahawks. Nice bounce back win as the Cardinals, what, sit at 4-6. And, and right there in the mix when it comes to the NFC West, I guess, right? I mean, they're right mm-hmm. there. Uh 34 start of his 13-year career for McCoy. Went, what, 26 to 37. Uh, and, look, he kind of patiently ran a disciplined offensive game plan for the Cardinals, you know, who <clears throat> kind of grinded out this victory. Let's be honest about it. They grinded it out for Cliff Kingsbury after losing, what, four of their last five games. So it's it's been a team that's struggled, no doubt, this season. But... Uh, and they haven't played up to the standard they expected, but getting back DeAndre Hopkins what a couple of weeks ago is a little bit of a boost. 
And, but I gotta say, I gotta say, they got the win, Tim. But this Cardinals team just screams also ran in the NFC, even with a healthy Kyler Murray there as the signal caller for Arizona. All right, Mr. Wynn, we got a couple minutes here. Give me the quick version of the Monday night football matchup, NFC East, Washington 4-5 and five at Philadelphia, undefeated. Does the streak continue tomorrow night there in Philly? I think it does continue, Mr. Ugglesby. Look, the World Series is over, and Philadelphia had to settle for the National League pennant. They didn't get the World Series crown. And then, of course, you had the Union not only lost the MLS Cup final, and they helped uh, Philadelphia earn the kind of dubious distinction, right, becoming the first city to lose two championships in one day. So it leaves it to the Eagles, right, to try to win the, the championship for the city. And, look, Nick Sirianni. Jalen Hurts have been a solid combination. Those of us, Tim Ugglesby, that have Jalen Hurts as a ticket to win the MVP, feeling kind of good right now. I'm not going to get over my skis yet, my friend. I'm not going to get too fired up. But, uh, look, they're 8-0 for the first time in franchise history. Lone undefeated team left in the NFC. And when it comes to NFC East rematches, you know, you've got the Eagles playing this commander team for the second time and the first time since they, you know, they beat up Carson Wentz in that uh, 28 or 24 to 8 route back in September. Now you got Wentz on IR following that surgery, and uh, Taylor Heineke is the guy to take the spot. But uh, it doesn't matter, right, Tim, when it comes to Heineke or Wentz. Odds makers in Vegas don't care as the Eagles are sitting right now at double digit favorites at 10.5 in this game. Uh, Jalen Hurts has won nine straight regular season games, longest active streak in the NFL. I think that continues. He, along with A.J. Brown, a magical combination through the air. This is a Philadelphia team that I expect is going to flex their muscles, Tim, in this matchup against the Commanders coming up tomorrow night. I'm with you on that. I like Philadelphia to win as well. And we have come to that point, Mr. Wynn. Always a pleasure to have you on the Heatwave Sports Show. Because a longtime family member of the show. You have the shirt to prove it. And uh, let everybody know where you're at on social media. I believe you're doing some radio tomorrow as well. Yeah, it's always great to join Heatwave Sports, yourself, Tim, and Tommy as well, too. I really appreciate the time. And I always am sporting my Heatwave Sports swag. Find <laughs> me at Twitter at Christian Wynn on Twitter, also at Chris William Wynn on Facebook, and at CWin77 over on Instagram, and all over the airwaves here in fabulous Las Vegas. Thanks again, Mr. Ugglesby, for the time on your Sunday night. I'll see you Tuesday night at the MAC, my friend. I will be there with bells on, my friend. For Chris Wynn. For Mateo, back in the booth, always doing a solid job for us here on Heat Wave Sports. I'm Tim Ugglesby. We'll talk next Sunday night here on Heatwave Sports, only on Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas. Have a good one.